Let's take our Bibles again to Psalm 106. This is the third part of our study on human sin and divine compassion from Psalm 106. We noted before that this psalm was written during the exilic period, and it is a confessional recounting Israel's history of faithlessness to God. Yet despite Israel's sin, God was faithful. He had compassion upon the nation, so that when the people repented of their sin, God delivered them from captivity and displayed compassion. We began by considering verses 1 through 5, and the psalmist begins with a contemplation of praise and prayer. Verses 1 through 3, praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord, or who can show forth all his grace? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. He continues his contemplation in verses 4 and 5 with a prayer. Remember me, O Lord, in your favor towards your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. So the psalmist begins with this contemplation. He's contemplating the issue of human sin and divine compassion. And yet he begins with a word of praise. Now, as, we'll, as we've noted and we'll continue to note, as we move through this psalm, he just goes through a litany of sins that they have committed and of which they must repent. But yet he begins with praise. Why? Because of who God is and what God does. God is long-suffering, God is faithful, and God forgives his people when they repent. And then he turns to a prayer, and he's asking God, Lord, continue to forgive us. Lord, don't let us go. Lord, restore us to our chosen status. Now, we moved then into the confession, and the confession begins in verse 6 and extends all the way down through verse 45. He begins in verses 6 through 12 by noting God's patience. We have sinned like our father. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. And he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hands of the ones who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed in his word. They sang his praise. Verses 13 to 23 outlines Israel's punishment. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Notice the parallel of their craving and tempting God. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. When they became envious of of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and engulfed the company of Abiram. And a fire blazed up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said to them, he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him, to turn away his wrath from destroying them. This brings us to Israel's perversity. 
in verses 24 to 27. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe in his word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore he swore to them that he would cast them down in the wilderness and that he would cast their seed among the nations and scatter them in the lands. Now here in verses 24 to 27, Israel's perversity, we have Israel's refusal to obey God and take the promised land. He brought them to the land. The 12 spies went in and the 10 of them said, we can't take this land. They didn't believe God's word. They despised, they rejected the land that was desirable because they didn't believe God to be faithful. All God had done for them over the past several weeks and months was forgotten. And all they claimed was, we can't do this. And as a result of their refusal, God judged them. Listen to the words of Numbers 14, 26 to 29. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil, this perverse congregation who complain against me? Say to them, The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. Now, that, meant, that led to the, what we know as the 40 years of wanderers wandering in the wilderness. 40 years. Because they did not believe God's word. They didn't trust in God's promise to give them that land. But you know what? That judgment didn't merely fall on that generation. Similar times of unbelief ultimately led them to the exile. Just as he said, he'll cast their seed among the nations. That's exactly what happened. You know, after 40 years, they finally made it to the promised land. And they began to take the promised land. But then guess what? They become satisfied. They became uh, intermingled with the peoples that they were supposed to have destroyed. They failed to obey God. And eventually that led them into the time of the judges and judgment. And eventually... God's grace brings them a king, David and Solomon. But guess what? Those two kings, as righteous as they may have been, were still not completely obedient to God. And the result of Solomon's disobedience uh, led the nation to be split in two. And within uh, 400 plus years, the people were in exile. Why? Because of unbelief. Folks, God is displeased with unbelief. Nothing will bring judgment and punishment into your life quicker, believer, than unbelief. Now, we're not talking about unbelief that, you know, uh, of, of the unregenerate. We're talking about believers exhibiting unbelief. Yes, believer, you can exhibit unbelief when you disobey God. You did not believe what God said. Whether you did what he told you not to do or you didn't do what he told you to do, that is unbelief. You are not believing what God has said. You're not obedient to God. And he may, you know, the scripture is full of, listen, if you obey me, I'll bless you. But if you disobey me, I will curse you. And listen, that's what happened to Israel. They were scattered. They were sent into exile. Among the nations, they were scattered. And listen, you can go back to Leviticus 26, 33 and see that warning written out. And friends, how many times have we missed out on blessing? How many times have we ended up in a spiritual exile from God or from fellow believers because we didn't take God at his word? Instead, we were perverse and committed evil in his sight. This brings us to verses 28 to 33, the provocation. 
They joined themselves also to Baal Peor, ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and interposed, so the plague was stayed, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went hard with Moses on their account. Because they were rebellious against his spirit, he spoke rashly with his lips. We continue this list of sins, and now we see Israel's idolatry when she joined herself to Baal. Now, Baal is a local Canaanite fertility god, meaning husband, and this Baal is Baal of Peor. This is a mountain of Moab, and so they're worshiping Baal. Now, again, all God has done, and they commit harlotry. They commit spiritual adultery. On God, remember, God took Israel as His wife there at the when the tenth plague was enacted, when Passover was first enacted there in Exodus. God took Israel as His wife, but now she is going out and playing the harlot, committing spiritual adultery with this false god named Baal, this fertility god, husband. They took a new husband. They entered into a relationship with this new husband while still married to their first husband. They ate sacrifices made for the dead, for idols. In Numbers 25, 2-3, we have the account of how the Moabite harlots invited the people to sacrifice to their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods, and Israel was joined to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And certainly God is indeed uh, righteous in being uh, angered by this. I mean, any spouse who is cheated on would certainly be indignant, would be filled with anger and grief and, and strife over such an action. And so God is moved. Now, in his anger, he sends a plague amongst his people. But Aaron's grandson Phinehas takes a javelin, goes into the tent where this man of Israel is having sexual relationships with this uh, Moabite uh, harlot and runs them both through with a javelin, pinning them to the ground mid-act. And so the plague was stopped. God looks at Phinehas and sees his action and accounted it, reckoned it to him for righteousness to all generations forever. In other words, Phineas's action would be considered a righteous action and it would be passed down from generation to generation. He saw sin and instead of turning his back to sin, he literally, very literally, confronted the sin and put an end to it. Next, we jump ahead to God's angers at the water of strife, or Meribah, which takes place in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 1. The people are contending with again with Moses. They're fighting with him, and uh, Moses is just sick and tired of it, and he brings water from the rock. But it went ill with Moses on account of them. You see, Israel was once again rebelling against God's spirit. I love the fact we have a mention of God's spirit here. This is the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is not Moses' spirit. Uh, but they rebelled against God's spirit so that Moses spoke rashly with his lips. 
Instead of giving glory to God, God said, Moses, speak to the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock, Moses, in his anger, allowed his anger to overtake him. This is not righteous anger. This is unrighteous anger. Because he's not just angry with the people, he's angry with God. God, these people, I've had it with them. They're just complainers, the rebellers, and I don't want to do it anymore. I'm tired of it. And God says, listen, Moses, speak to the rock and let, let them have some water. And Moses, in a fit of rage, speaks rashly, grabs his staff, and cracks it against the rock. Now, God, in his grace and mercy, still provided water for the people. But he judged Moses. For what? Unbelief. Because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you will not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Numbers 20 and verse 12. Friends, Moses was, was, was redeemed, but even the redeemed, even the most righteous of the redeemed can have a moment of unbelief. Now, Moses did not lose his salvation, but he lost out on blessing. That one moment of unbelief, that one moment of unrighteous anger, that one moment of rash words cost him the blessing of the promised land. He missed out on the, on the promised land blessing. For all that he had been through over his 80-some years, or 120 years, uh, it, it meant nothing in this one moment. And God judged him. Now, you know, we have the blessing of knowing for sure that Moses did not lose his salvation because he eventually did make the promised land. When we come to the, the gospel accounts, Jesus appears on the mount there, the Mount of Transfiguration, and he appears with Moses and Elijah. Moses did get to the promised land, but he didn't get there in his physical body, and he didn't get there in the time that he should have. You know, it's a good lesson for us, ladies and gentlemen, that we must keep our anger in check. Yes, there is times to be angry, and but our anger must always be righteous, never unrighteous. And when we, we allow our emotion to take control of us and disobey God, then you better be ready to count the cost because you will cost yourself God's blessing. Beware, believer, of missing out on God's believer or God's blessing because of unbelief. If there's two thing, if there's one thing we see in both the pro, Israel's provocation and Israel's perversity, it is that it is possible for believers to exhibit unbelief, but God will not let that unbelief go unpunished. Friends, you won't just miss out on blessing; you will fall under God's punishment. So, friends, look at your life. Is there evil in your life? Is there unbelief in your life? Is there some perverseness in your life? Don't provoke God. Don't push his buttons. Make no mistake, you may not only lose out on blessing, you may be punished. You say, well, how can I be punished? Because God punishes those whom he loves. That's why he's punishing you. Not because, you know, he's some unjust, unrighteous God, but because he loves you and he wants to get you back on the right path. And so he will punish and he will remove your blessing. But when you repent, he will restore you. He'll restore you to your blessing, and he'll restore you to your privilege. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come before you through Jesus, our Savior. Father, we give you the praise that despite the sins of your people, despite our unbelief, Father, you're still faithful. 
you keep your word. Father, forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us, Lord, for exhibiting unbelief, for whether it's in disobedience to what you've commanded us to do or disobedience to what you've commanded us not to do. Father, whether it's that uh, moment of anger that's unrighteous. Father, it's, it's running off emotion. Or, Lord, whether it's uh, simply not uh, uh, doing something in the manner in which we are to do it. Father, none of us want to lose our blessing. None of us want to lose our privileged standing in your presence. So, Father, I ask and, and uh, that you would forgive us, Father, that as we confess our sins, that, Lord, you would again be merciful, be long-suffering. Father, keep us from being perverse. Keep us from committing that evil of unbelief. Lord, keep us from provoking you. I pray, Lord, that we would not grieve your spirit nor quench your spirit, but that, Father, at all times we might seek to praise you and glorify you in all that we say and do. And, Father, we ask that not only today, but uh, in days ahead, that we would continue to be your people and people who testify of your glory to all generations. Amen.